Well, welcome to American Political Paradise Podcast, Mark Paquita. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself as much as you would like to about you and all your act and what you've done in Ohio regarding politics or anything like that. So at the end of 2019, uh, no, I sold a business that I had been growing uh, since 1996. And I had had my first grandchild. And I looked at him and I thought, he's not going to have the same opportunity I did to live the American dream. I literally had lived the American dream coming from a lower middle class family and growing a business to $100 million in annual revenue and selling it. And I looked at him and I thought he's not going to have the same opportunity I did. So I decided to run for U.S. Senate against Rob Portman because I believed he needed a primary challenge. I think every politician should have a primary challenge every election. And uh, lo and behold, he dropped out. And uh, then it became a Kentucky Derby field, as you know, seven, eight people. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I didn't prevail, but I've, I am staying very active in Ohio and national politics, uh, doing what I can to right the ship is basically the way I look at it. So that in a nutshell is what I, I, my history, and then we can talk a little bit about what I'm doing now if you'd like to do that, but I, I'd I'll let you direct the, the conversation. Yeah, let's talk about what you're doing now regarding uh, your activism or whatever, uh, regarding what you're doing in Ohio. Sure. So um, right after, literally days after the May primary, we started this, this network of people across the state called the Grassroots Freedom Initiative. It's not a pack. It's not any kind of an organization. It's just a basically a mailing list, right? And the idea with the Grassroots Freedom Initiative is to give people things to do to take back their local government, state government, and the federal government. And what I mean by that is we're literally building an army of people who can be called up when there is need to support candidates who are citizen candidates, conservative candidates, American patriot kind of candidates uh, to combat through volunteers to offset the money uh, and the the rigging, if you will, of the two party system, which is really in my in my mind, a a uniparty. So that's what the Grassroots Freedom Initiative is doing. Uh, we, we helped get um, citizen candidates elected to the Ohio GOP State Central Committee mm-hmm. in August. We uh, helped on the campaign of a write-in candidate for governor, Marshall Usher. The whole idea is to try to use this platform to... Uh, replace money with volunteers, right? So moneyed candidates can go buy email services and text services and robocall services and things of that nature, as you're aware. Mm 
Yes. What we do is we replace that with free volunteers who do the texting, the emailing, and the calling from their own phones, their own laptops, uh, their own landlines. And that works to offset that, that money differential. And because I think anybody that's working with us believes that we need to get uh, money out of politics as much as possible. It, 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 people just buy elections these days. So will this be a bigger platform, uh, initiative than just Ohio, or is this just for Ohio for now in the meantime? Uh, great question. It's Ohio now for the meantime, uh, but we are like to say that it's an open source uh, strategy. In other words, anybody in any state who thinks that they would like to do something like this in their state, they're welcome to any of the intellectual capital and any of the intellectual property that we've developed. Uh, and we'd be glad to share it with them. We've had a few people kind of toy with the idea, uh, but no one is really um, uh, taken the bait, so to speak, and run with it. Uh, there are a lot of people doing similar things. I think in some cases there's a bit of a, a pride of authorship. I think at some point in time we're going to have to come together, share best practices, mm -hmm. uh, and and kind of latch together arm in arm, <clears throat> kind of like the Tea Party did. Uh, but we, we've got to continue that, right? The Tea Party yeah. did a great job, and then they just kind of – they. they they had success and they said, okay, we're done. They kind of washed their hands of it and walked away. And lo and behold, um, all of that uh, uh, progress uh, ended up uh, getting uh, covered up by career politicians and turncoats and stuff like that. So it really, we're, we're, we're back even, I think, uh, in worse shape than we, they were, we were prior to the, the, the Tea Party, which is unfortunate. So on to the questions I have for you. How should... Americans come together in a very divided country Americans live in today and uh, even uh, even during the mid-21st or 22nd century? So another good question, and, and I think you and I were, I was sharing with you that I'm starting a po podcast on March 21st called the Unite American Show. And as mm -hmm. I've been doing research for that and discussing and strategizing and talking to people, I, I think that the the... Uh, the tagline for the show is that unity without truth is conspiracy. We have got to get back to understanding objective truth. We have got to get back to calling out people when they're just being foolish and nonsensical. Uh, there are only two sexes. Um, things of that nature. Uh, yeah. We, we, we just got get got to get back to that. So, I mean, it's things in politics like the the dirty dossier, the PP dossier used to uh, a, as the basis for the first impeachment of President Trump. That has been proven unequivocally to be an absolutely completely fabricated document. It it started with the Clinton campaign and Mark Elias going to um uh, Christopher Steele and his firm. And, but there are still people because the people on the left and, I, and these are insiders. These are not Democrat voters. These are inside Democrats and operatives and, and consultants and pundits keep 
pushing that as if it's still real. We even have a sitting member of the House of Representatives, Adam Schiff, who's doing the same thing. He continues to bring up Russia, Russia, Russia. And and so we've got to get back to objective truth because right now China's our biggest enemy, for example, but we keep hearing about Russia and Ukraine. Meanwhile, China is sending balloons over the United States that could in fact have a nuclear mm-hmm. device attached to them that could create an EMP attack, an electro- electro- electromagnetic pulse attack on the United States and literally put us out of business. And yet we're worried about Russia, Russia, Russia that only has 142 million people is essentially a third world country with a first world nuclear arsenal, has a GDP that's smaller than Italy's. Russia is not a threat. Russia is not going to to overtake Europe. And and anybody common sense looking at the numbers realizes this. But there's little common sense and there's little objective truth. And so I think the objective truth, getting back to objective truth is really the, the, the most important thing to unite the country. And I actually think that we're probably more united than we believe. I think we've been yeah. listening too much to the mainstream media and politicians. And once the word gets out there and we start to realize that, uh, uh, who's being lied to and what they're being lied to about. I think uh, that that will unite um, that will unite Americans very, very quickly. So I have a question about uh, United America is what does an idea United America look like to you? I will tell you that I think United America to me looks like the United States of America prior to 2008. Prior to 2008, we, we could have primarily have civil discourse on issues and not be attacking each other personally, not be canceling each other mm-hmm. and things of that nature. It seems that in 2008, uh, it all started we, we, it, it, the intersectional politics coming from Barack Obama's administration really, I think, put us on this trage- trajectory to be where we are today. Uh, just the uh, the race baiting that went on, uh, you know, it, it's classic, um, it's classic uh, critical theory that comes uh, from the early 1900s in Germany. Uh, it's a Marxist tool to divide. It, 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 with Obama, it was race, but now we've got gender and sexuality. Yeah. It used to be wealth. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, it's a classic tool to divide people, to be able to subjugate them, and I think we we need to get back to where where that is unaccepting, where where socialist and communist um, thinking is looked at as being foolish or, or, or stupid. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. So how should voters in Ohio elect more effective Republicans to Ohio state legislature? Because as you might have put it to me, you believe Ohio has a feckless Republican legislature. Correct. Um, our legislature so we have a supermajority in Ohio. 
a Republican supermajority that is bigger than that that Ron DeSantis has in Florida. At least we did prior to this election. I don't know if he gained enough seats to be ahead of us, but prior to this last election, November, we had a bigger supermajority in both houses of the General Assembly than Ron DeSantis did. And Mike DeWine uh-huh. and that assembly, they did nothing. They accomplished nothing. If you look at what Ron DeSantis has accomplished, it's incredible. And so we need a wholesale replacement of the GOP elected slate of officials in Ohio. I, I see very few, if any, legislators in the Ohio House or the Ohio Senate who are, are worth what we pay them. They get nothing done. And what they do get done is so watered down, it's meaningless, that we couldn't get a medical right to refuse bill passed uh, because of the COVID vaccine, which we're now finding out is is worthless and, and might be extremely detrimental, uh, is just shocking to me. Uh, and it's because we've got a corrupt uh, governor who is, I believe, up to his eyeballs implicated in this first energy debacle he did a terrible job during covid yet the legislature just keeps supporting his incompetency uh his administration has lost about four billion dollars in money from the federal government for unemployment through fraud you rarely hear or or barely hear anything about that I think I did hear something about that recently. I think I did. Ohio means jobs or Ohio jobs or something like that. Jobs, something. Well, that's different. That's, that's oh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is unemployment money that we lost through fraud because the Department of Jobs and Family Services is incompetent. And Mike DeWine is the CEO of the state. He, he is the head of the administrative branch, the executive Mm -hmm. branch, but the administrative branch of the government in Ohio. He is responsible for the day-to-day workings, and he lost $4 billion, and very few Ohioans realize this. Uh, So we need a wholesale replacement of everybody, but the Ohio uh, Republican Party itself is a rigged, corrupt, manipulated um, organization, institution. And it needs to be taken back. Uh, and I won't go into all the details there, but they haven't had an audit of their books in decades. Uh, it, it is just a mess. And it needs to either be cleaned up or we've got to figure out what to do to replace it. So in terms of replacing them, I, my next question is, what type of Republicans do you believe would be politically right or effective for our state legislature? Like, Shed voters elect more conservative, moderate, neoconservative, or social conservative Republicans to public political office in Ohio. I I think what we need are more citizen candidates, more people who have some experience in real life and less career politicians. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what the profile looks like for the perfect candidate. No, I really don't, because you can look at effective. Some of the people who I think are effective uh, legislators or yeah. good leaders, like Thomas Massey, right, an MIT graduate, 
you've got Rand Paul, uh, uh, a physician. Uh, you've got people like uh, Matt Getz. Uh, these are these are people that have all different kinds of backgrounds. What what I like to see is that we we I think this whole swamp uh, codependent cesspool of corruption, as I call it in D.C., is caused by the fact that we've got too many career politicians where where being a politician is a career and a job. Yeah, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need term limits and, and things of that nature. So, but but I don't. I want to answer your question. I think we need people who are more small government, compassionate conservatives, and and that demonstrate that. In other words, I think Republicans and conservatives specifically have allowed the the Democrats and the far left to paint us into a box that makes us look like we want to take away grandma and grandpa's social security checks that's not it at all what we know is that social security will be bankrupt in the next 10 to 12 years and it is it is malfeasance and misfeasance to not be talking about that and doing something about it we're we're just going to drive this thing over the cliff I think there is are some automatic cuts that happen if that happens in Social Security benefits. Few, if any, people are talking about it, and we need to get ahead of it because the longer we wait, the harder it's going to be to come up with a solution to fix the problem, if we can fix it at all. So, so we need people who, who have some experience, I think, in business. We need some people who have some experience raising a family. We need some younger representatives, some older representatives, some people of color, some people of different uh, sexual preferences. We, yeah, we for need sure. some diversity, right? But we need experience. We need rele- relevant experience. And relevant experience is not my, my resume is I was a mayor and then I became a state representative and then I became a, a federal representative, and then I became a senator, and now I want to be president. That to me is not relevant. No, it shouldn't be. No experience whatsoever to me. That's what's gotten us here. To keep doing what we're doing and expecting a different result is absolute insanity. So on to the idea of a uniparty. Can you give us your own definition of uniparty? To me, the uniparty right now is anybody who is in elected office that ran as either a Republican or a Democrat. And and I use generalizations like that. You know, is it 80-20? Is it 90-10? I'm not sure. But it, it is the, the, the vast majority of people in elected office in Washington, D.C., the 537 people who are elected— are part of the uniparty. There are a few people who aren't, right, those outliers. But by and large, the uniparty has one mission, and that is to get its constituents reelected. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are not looking out for their constituents or the people they, they represent in the country. They're looking out for themselves. And... They spend, I mean, 
what what most Americans don't realize is how little time these folks in Washington spend actually doing their job. They are spending more than half their time doing fundraising and things of that nature to get reelected. That's all they care about. And so, uh, and when I say all they care about, 80%, 90% of them are like that, right? I, I don't want to get back to this corner. Well, what about Ron Rand Paul? What about this guy? <laughs> what about that? You know, those outliers, the majority of the people in Washington, D.C., all they want to do is get reelected. They don't really care about results. Uh, they don't care anything about results unless they know they're going to get reelected. Then they might work on the results. Otherwise, every decision they make is about getting reelected. And I think you have to look at them and everything they say through that lens. And you, you have to question them based on looking at them through that lens yeah and you have to look at their voting record based on that lens and uh there are very few people who can pass that test of you know perhaps there are a few that can get reelected and work on that and also get a lot of things done uh but but i don't see many of them and, and those that can aren't in leadership positions or aren't playing the game to get into leadership positions where they have any kind of power in committees or things of that nature to get stuff done. So those are some of the things I think that's the uniparty. Uh, it's not Republicans. It's not Democrats. It's, it's they're, they're, as I said, a codependent group of people who only care about getting elected. And, and until we fix that problem, uh, we will forever have the kind of issues that we've got today, and we will have disunity in the country because the Uniparty likes this disunity because it, it allows them to use theatrics to score points, to improve name recognition, to improve fundraising, and again, be reelected. Yeah, I can, I can see what, how, you, how your definition of Uniparty and your broad explanation of it goes to politics overall, so for sure. Do you support the efforts to support Ukraine and the world effort to stop Russia from full, con full control of Ukraine? Um, first of all, uh, let's step back and figure out how we got to where we are with Ukraine. In 2014, the CIA in the United States supported a undemocratic coup to overturn a democratic government in Ukraine. Now, Ukraine has been forever one of the most corrupt, if not the most corrupt countries in Europe and Eurasia. So it's never been great. But at mm -hmm. least they were migrating to a more democratic uh, kind of government. And our CIA decided that we needed to uh, change that, that government. Um, that government is more corrupt than what they had before. Now, the military-industrial complex and the Uniparty loves wars 
right? Because getting reelected in a war is almost a fait accompli. Hmm. Uh, if you can um, keep the folks focused on patriotism and winning the war. So they love that kind of thing. Plus, a lot of their donors come from the military industrial complex in the United States. So, and this is not any different in any other country like the UK. If you look at their military spending, it's fairly high for a country their size, right? They're, they're up no, there in five or six spends, right? So uh, they, they love uh, sending young men and women to war as long as they don't have to go the politicians. So now let's get to your Ukraine today. We were pushing for U Ukraine to be part of um, NATO. Putin took Crimea, but a lot of people don't understand that the Ukrainians were shelling their own people, supposedly, in the Donbass because they are primarily Russians of Russian heritage, not Ukrainian, pure Ukrainian heritage. I didn't know that. So, so they were shelling their own people and killing basically their own people because those people wanted to be part of Russia. They didn't want to be part of Ukraine. They, they identified as being Russian. So uh, two things came together. One, Russians uh, are being bombed. Ethnic Russians are being bombed and shelled by other Ukrainians. I mean, they're ethnic Russians, but they're Ukrainian citizens. And two, we are pushing and other NATO countries are pushing to have NATO forces on the border with Ukraine and, and Russia. Now, think about this. If Russia decided to put military on our Mexican or Canadian borders in, in alignment with or in conjunction with China, how would we look at that? We would look at that as an act of war. Yeah. So I don't know why we would assume that Vladimir Putin wouldn't look at the same thing, having NATO forces on the on his border with Ukraine. Uh, so he took a preemptive step. I mean, I'm looking at the strategy. I'm not supporting the war at all. I'm not supporting Putin. I'm not supporting Zelensky. All I'm saying is... This is something we should not be involved in. We shouldn't be spending, sending the money. This is a, if it is anything, this is a European issue and they should figure out how to get this solved or stopped. There have been a number of initiatives to try to bring peace to that region and they've all been scuttled and they, they have not been scuttled by, by Vladimir Putin. They've been scuttled by this military industrial complex, this, this war, these warmongers in the uniparty. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And I think most Americans are too apathetic or, or are low information when it comes to most issues like this. They're worried about their families. They're worried about making a living. Mm -hmm. This is not interesting to them. Um, you know, you can make fun of people and say, well, they spend time binge watching TV or going to sporting events and they just don't really care. They're 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 uh, they're stupid. They're they're apathetic. You know, 
that's not what I want to say. What I do want to say, though, is that th these are complex issues that yeah, require sure. understanding a 360 degree view. Most people don't have it. And then we've got a media that is completely biased. They're essentially the the outsourced PR arm for the Biden administration right now. That everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. Everything they they cannot they cannot give us straight news, and most Americans still trust them. Unfortunately, most Americans still trust them, and so they're buying this story. Um, and a lot of people are getting rich while America is going further and further into debt. And it's possible that our young men and women will be going to war, a war that certainly could have been prevented, but was, was actually um, orchestrated by elected officials in Washington, D.C. in their ecosystem of lobbyists, donors, and things of that nature. Hmm. So, laying to the low information and apathetic voter information voters, uh, as a passionate and political news junkie I am myself, how should people like you and myself energize and get Americans interested and concerned about politics in the state of America as much as we are? That's another good question. Uh, I wish I had a great answer for you. I know it's, I it may be hard to answer, but maybe just try, you know. Yeah. We, we, so I'll tell you what I'm doing personally. Uh, what I'm doing personally is wearing things like this hat and shirts with political messages on them out in public. Why am I doing that? I'm not doing that to give the middle finger to people who, who disagree with me or don't. Yeah, no way. That. I'm doing it to show people that they should not be afraid to express their beliefs in public, to exercise their free speech, which, which is included in that. Um, and I will tell you that I, I, the numbers now are about 300 to one, 300 people will come up to me and say, I like your shirt. I like your hat. Thank you for wearing that. They'll stop and have a conversation with me. And then I'll get the one person who under their breath mutters something. They'll never come up directly and, and confront you. It's always kind of a passive aggressive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so I would encourage people to what you believe in where if it's your christianity wear a shirt that expresses that if it's your sexuality wear a shirt that expresses that if it's your political beliefs do that whatever it might be uh you have no problem wearing a sports team logo out in public you should have no problem wearing a made uh make america great again hat or shirt or or whatever out in public the, the second thing we're doing is you see these the buttons and pins on my hat. It's a logo. Let me see if I've got one here. Hold on. Well, essentially, it's this logo. And, it, and it, all it says is USA first. And mm -hmm. why did I do it black and white? The idea, and we've got some window decals, but the idea, Noah, of this is um, these are the, let me, right? Yeah. And that window decal, it's got uh, 
adhesive on the front so you can put it on a window and nobody can damage it. Um, the idea is to wear the button, wear the pin. Uh, the, the pins and the lapel pins are just a flag with a, the logo or, or, or just that logo. Uh -huh. And it's to invite people to ask you. So it's a, first of all, it's a signal that you're willing to have a, a reasonable, calm, factual discussion with someone about issues facing the country if they want to talk to you and that you will respect them and and attack if you will or argue over the ideas not about whether people are good or bad because they have them because yeah. that's bigotry okay that's bigotry hating someone because you don't believe what the way they think is bigotry so so that you're not a bigot, you're not going to do that, and, and that you want to be part of this group that starts to take back our country to get us back to where we were prior to 2008. That doesn't mean come join me in the Republican Party or the conservative no, Republican Party. It just means the, the only thing you've got to commit to in that conversation is that everything we talk about is putting America first in trying to make America better. If you can't do that, then I don't think there's even a basis for having conversation. If you're an America hater, or you think America was built to protect slavery and some of the other stupidity that's going on right now, then I don't think there's any hope for you in terms of, of having a reasonable discussion with you. But if you're willing to... Um, put aside kind of personal animus and attack the ideas and be calm, not vulgar, compassionate, a listener as well as a talker, uh -huh. then, then come on in. Let's have a conversation. And, yeah, it's, uh, uh... So it's kind of like, uh, how would I put it? It's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, you know, a little badge that says I'm approachable uh, I, and I won't judge you mm -hmm. about your your political beliefs. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely think that's a good way to start a conversation and to get a friendly, hopefully a friendly uh, partisan or bipartisan com political conversation started so we can have more conversations regarding politics and just stuff we really care about because i know people care about issues they just may not show it maybe right because they're afraid right we yeah we, we've made them they they the insiders in the U party have helped stoke this animosity this divide which then is is exacerbated by cancel culture so it's kind of like you're divided, stay divided. If you try not to be divided, we'll cancel you, right? So uh -huh. anybody on the left trying to come a little to the middle gets canceled. Anybody on the right coming a little to the left gets it essentially gets canceled or they get, they get just expelled from any kind of reasonable discussion. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we end up, with, with a continuation of the divide that we've got right now. It, the divide happened very quickly. The divide could be healed very quickly. All we have to do is decide to heal it. That's it. Mm -hmm. 
it's like waking up and being in a bad mood. You you choose to be in a bad mood. You could be in a good mood, but you yeah. choose to be in a bad mood. <laughs> uh, we're in a our country's in a bad mood, and we just need to decide that we're going to be in a good mood. So, what's at stake if voters aren't educated on issues, candidates, proposals, and state amendments they might have to vote for or against on a ballot? Um, everything's at stake. Everything is at stake. Uh, we, we have, we have to get people to feel like this is important and this impacts them. It seems like they look at politicians as celebrities and it's kind of like a TV show that goes on Mm -hmm. or a Netflix series. And that it really, and it can be fun to go back and forth and debate and call people names and stuff like that, but that it has no impact on them. And like, and it, it is astounding to me. So I lived through the stagflation back in the 70s, right? Uh-huh. And the high interest rates in the 80s. And people were angry. Right. And they were angry at politicians. We have got historic inflation right now, interest rates continuing to rise to try to get that under control. And a price is going up like crazy on food and, th- and things of that nature that are really a very uh, regressive tax on lower income Americans, and it it doesn't appear that people are all that upset. And if they are, they certainly aren't putting the blame where it lies, and that's on Washington and our really failed and failing economic and and financial policies. Uh Uh, So I think that there has to – somehow we've got to get people to make the connection between – Elections have consequences, and those consequences impact them or me. And the only way we're going to change this is if a groundswell of people decides to spend a little bit more time being a little bit more curious about these issues and not only taking what's fed to them by either the parties or the mainstream media, but by doing their own research, talking to other Americans and having debate on this. Yeah. Uh, but right now we, we, it's very, very hard to do that because the media is so in bed with the Democrats and that, that leftist socialist kind of leaning that not even leaning, they're racing off that cliff that, that it's very, very hard to get the full story. Um, but somehow we've got to do it. So part of it is podcasts like this, right? Yeah. People can go to, to get another, uh, another side of the story. So I think, you know, you're doing a great job and I I know how many episodes have you done? Uh, that's something like 83rd. Yeah. 83 episodes. I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but it's important. And, and we need more people like you, especially younger Americans like you, doing this kind of thing and making it a little more interesting for people to get, get involved with and, and, and think about and talk about. 
so I applaud you for doing this. It's why Thank I'm going to start a podcast. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we need to be doing things like there's this thing that's being developed right now called the Ohio Roundtable, which will be citizen journalists who go to things like board of election meetings or, or, or county commissioner meetings or, mm-hmm. um, town council meetings and report on what happened. Uh, we have got to work around the mainstream media and, uh, with the technology today, doing what we're doing right now, we couldn't have done back when I was a kid, right? We didn't have the technology. It, it yeah. was millions of dollars or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy the equipment to be able to do something like this. Uh, so, uh, we need to take advantage of that and we need to do it very quickly. Yeah, for sure. So I know it's a issue in Ohio, it might be, but, uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on the, who should run for U.S. Senate in Ohio as a Republican next year to become the Republican who would run for Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown's Senate seat. So we definitely need we definitely need a Republican in that seat. We have got to to change the 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 um, numbers in the U.S. Senate. So it's got to be a Republican. Um, Matt Dolan has declared. Matt Dolan is not a Republican. Matt Dolan is a um, is a Mike DeWine clone, mm-hmm. and is not small government. He's not pro life. He's not pro gun. Um, and we we headed out on the debate stage at Wilberforce about that. And these are his votes. So this is not, you know, me holding some kind of grudge or whatever like he 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 is a an absolute rhino if you want to use that terminology so other than that i do not know who would be a strong candidate for u.s senate um i have asked a number of people that i thought would be good uh candidates in 2024 and they have all said no way no how which is hmm. unfortunate. Yeah. We've got, we've got to get a citizen candidate uh, bringing forth ideas that like came from me, like came from Joe Blystone, like came from Jim Renacci, like came from some of the outsiders who were running uh, in, in last year's uh, primaries and general election. Uh, we just got to do that. Um I am, I'm, so Vivek is running, uh, for president. Yeah. He wrote Woke Inc. I would have loved to have seen him throw his hat in the ring for Senator, but I guess. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, so, so I really don't know. I, 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 I haven't thought, so I thought about it enough to ask some people who, who gave me absolute no's. So. I think we'll we might see the 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 um, uh, the cicadas come out like Josh Mandel might be back again. He's I've heard otherwise about him. I've heard read article. I've read an article saying he's not going to say, but I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know if he will or not. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, okay. Bernie Moreno. I don't know if Bernie's going to run again. Um, 
Mike Gibbons, I don't know if he's going to run again. Jane Timpkin, I don't know if she's going to run again. Um, you know, yeah, uh, you could look at uh, some of the, like Warren Davidson, I think, would be a good choice. Mm-hmm. Jim Jordan would be a good choice. Um, other than that, um, I, I don't see Ohio having a very deep bench when it comes to candidates for an office like that, to be very honest. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping like someone comes up strong against Matt Dillon because when I don't see him as a good contender for the job much, I don't know much about him, but I don't feel like he's, I don't know. I'm waiting for someone like someone close to what JD fans was for Ohio. Right. Uh, and I will say, J.D., one of my competitors, is doing – I think he's doing a phenomenal job thus far. I you too. I hope he keeps it up. I, I am I am so happy. And I will – you know, he was one of my competitors, but we spent a lot of time together. I'm proud that he's doing what he is for Ohio. Mm-hmm. I hope he keeps it up. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Someone like him can run in 2024 against Sherrod Brown, but we don't know. You know, it's hard. I, I think Warren Davidson would be a good pick, and I think Jim Jordan would be a good pick. But, you know, Jim, I think, is is possibly on his way to being speaker, depending upon how long McCarthy wants to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's funny, we're talking about these people in career politician terms, right? Right now, we're yeah. talking about them in career politician terms. Who will replace who? Who does this? He, he comes from here and he goes there. Uh, and I'm sure there will be some people that come out of the woodwork for this Senate race that we haven't even really thought about business people, who, whomever, who are, yeah. I was, and, uh, may throw their, their, their hat in the ring. It'll be very interesting. Yeah. Like, it's going to be a very, very ugly race because Sherrod Brown has so many skeletons in his closet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if those, if those candidates don't bring them out i certainly will and people like you or i certainly need to yeah and i started i think it was last week and i talked to a, a possible contender for ohio governor gubernatorial race in 2026 matt mayor yep. and there's it was a very good conversation about him exploring the option run for governor and what he would do as governor that's very good so that's also a, a look coming up in feature two years after 20 after next year yeah yeah matt matt is matt the uh political consultant i'm trying to he runs ohio opportunity or opportunity for ohio i think was he uh head of the buckeye institute he might have been someone has already someone has already committed and i forget their name uh maybe it's matt but uh, he to- he said John Huster is probably going to run for the gov- run to be yeah, Ohio's yeah. next governor in twenty twenty six. Yeah, that's pretty. I think that's pretty. Um, I think most people would say that that's almost a given. Uh, they talk about Frank LaRose too, so it'll be interesting because they're all part of that DeWine cabal. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what actually how that actually shakes out. You know, Mike Husted run for governor and the rose would be his running mate or vice versa who knows yeah 
starts to enter into talk about to you. I don't know how they get along. I don't know what their relationship is. That might be something you want to take a look at. Oh, yeah. John Houston and Frank Rose. Yeah. Yeah, that could be interesting to look at. Yeah. <laughs> well, so to wrap up our interview, where on social media can people find you? Uh, so I'm really trying to drive everybody to Twitter. It's at M Paquita or at M P U K I T A on Twitter. Trying to drive everybody there. I'm trying to stay off of Facebook trying mm -hmm. to put my actions where my beliefs are in terms of I think Mark Zuckerberg and that organization are just bad news and I see Elon Musk doing some good things with um, Twitter and exposing what happened at Twitter and exposing how the government was working to censor Americans on social media and probably still are with the Twitter files I encourage everybody I encourage everybody to get on Twitter yeah, to spend a lot of time there, but they should go there. They should connect with some of their other friends and family and start to take a look at it really is the only free speech platform we have in the United States right now. Yeah, other definitely. Podcasts and things like that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm big a fan of Twitter from like Facebook because I don't I'm still getting used to Facebook. I just got a new account, whatever with it, but I like Twitter a lot. So Yeah, on Facebook and you post you can get suspended or banned for posting just about anything. I mean you, the, the, the restrictions on free speech at Facebook are absolutely ridiculous. So I'm trying really not to, to be there other than to get people who followed me there. Yeah, and I, I personally with my podcast, I have a personal account on Twitter and a podcast account, so it even works out because I'm able to get more people from, to listen to my podcast, hopefully, from my Twitter account because I follow all kinds of podcast accounts, different podcasts that are out there on Twitter, so it's, right. it's neat. Right, yeah, so good, that's great. So thank you for being a guest on American Plicker Paradise Podcast. You're welcome. Thanks, Noah. I enjoyed it.